Welcome to another High Ground Podcast. I'm CBW. Hello. And today we're looking at ambiguity in films. You know what, I think films these days, you, have already, you, know, you get spoon fed. Yeah. Everybody wants the answers and they want to walk out the cinema. It, it, it's, it's like in the the 80s, you know, with the horror films especially. Oh, yeah. How you've got to walk out of the cinema feeling safe. That's why yeah. you, you vanquish the, the villain and everything is safe. And I think yeah, yeah, now... Yeah. Then now the way society is, we have to have, we have to be yeah, dictated yeah. to uh, that we've got a, a linear story that the ending is the ending, and you know what we can't really think because if we think that means we might start a revolution. Yeah. No, we can't. We might actually rebel against the crap that they're sending. Have some brain cells. I yeah. think um, as well. Like now, a lot of films are trying to set up sequels and franchises, so they're not looking at making the the plot itself ambiguous so there is no room for ambiguity when you're trying to introduce a, i mean there are examples but a blade runner being one but you can't introduce ambiguity into a storyline if you're thinking of the next one already in my opinion not not well enough whereas i think all that like a lot of the i tried to think of loads of films that were ambiguous and like the reason i like them and these films all don't have most of them don't have sequels i don't know about you so that, the only one I really had a sequel was Blade Runner. Yeah. I was always I was always afraid with twenty forty nine. This was always going to be the turning off point for me. Was when they said Deckard is a replicant. Yeah, and they did it, and it left the door open about Gaff. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, Wow! Yeah, I think is Gaff. You you yeah, got to asking is Gaff a replicant? Yeah, not rep, not and, and, and I was like, Wow, wow! And you don't you you, you and. There's supposed to say, yeah, Blade Runner for 24 hours is probably doing a sequel because you went with uh, Deckard. You, you're still wondering, is he a replicant? If he is, how could he? How could him and uh, how could it, how could he have a child? Yeah. With Rachel, you know, Rachel is, is a replicant, but yeah, you know, Blade Runner is not a sort of. It was a, it was a studio release that should never. have being made, you know, everyone yeah, was expecting yeah. a blockbuster, which it, it wasn't. Crit- uh, the fans, the true fans, loved it. The critics loved it, but the audiences about three yeah. hours just just turned off because they weren't wanting a thinking film. Yeah, I can't see them trying attempting a film like that in some time because no, everything mean, goes onto Netflix and streaming services now. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think most of these films that I could think of were actual box office bombs, with the exception of the Kubrick films I could think of. I think because of Hugh Kubrick was it sort of it sort of pre pre arranged the fact that the box office would be big with him because he was popular at the time, wasn't he? Right. But, um, yeah, most of these films that I could think of, they weren't big box office hits. I mean, the main one I'm thinking of that was a hit afterwards, again, like Blade Runner, is Fight Club. Yeah. Fight Club's quite ambiguous. In, but that wasn't a hit at the time. No, exactly, yeah. And, and uh, things like uh, even John Carpenter's The Thing, you know, that has a really ambiguous ending. I love the ending. I see that watching that as like yeah, you know, you that, that famous line of like, well, let's just see what happens. Yeah. That is what you want to think when you watch an ambiguous film. Yeah. Let's just see what happens, and if nothing happens, then fuck it. You know, like, but that's that's sort of missing, I think, from films now. And, and I haven't seen a. I mean, to be honest, I watched a film last night that was quite ambiguous. That I've always been meaning to see a film called Hereditary. I heard of it. It's a, a, the guy who just who did it. Ari Aster's just done a film called Midsummer that's been quite well received, and. That was like that was a really ambiguous sort of what what the hell's going on horror film and I haven't had like that sort of horror film is the one that scares me. 
and I like that. Um, that's probably the, the last ambiguous film I've seen in a long time, apart from Blade Runner 2049, I think. But that was the big one, wasn't it, for us? Yeah, it's Blade Runner 2049. It's, it's, listen, that was a film that was going to be a sequel for me. That's, that's, yes, this is a worthy successor to Blade Runner, yeah. it was going to be. Or this is... I don't want to see yeah. this film ever again. I, I walked out of that. that it, it's for a big, big money studio pick to actually walk out the cinema with that feeling that I've just watched something. Because I, I get yeah, more yeah. now for smaller films. I mean, don't get me wrong, I do love, as you, as you know, when everybody who's listening to this knows, that's what listen, been listening to the High Ground podcast knows that we actually do love these mainstream oh, movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, there's a different feeling you get yeah. when you watch like a smaller film that, that grabs your attention, grabs your heart yeah. and everything. So when to walk out of a Blade Runner... I just you know is gaff you know the whole like you go back the whole thing with gaff yeah because is he is he a, a replicant and it's it's the sort of thing that you can actually you you watch the film then you you, you chat with your mates or you're thinking about it for yeah. days the ending of it and that's that's but yeah that's true filmmaking isn't it I yeah mean, I think like if ambiguity works then it both does and doesn't matter towards the plot and the makeup of the film. does in a way in the sense that if the film is supposed to be ambiguous, then it adds to the mystery. But also it doesn't matter because you don't need to solve that mystery. It can be left hanging in the end. You know, like the, like, like you say about the Deckard being a replicant thing, that was one of the things that worried me, like which cut's going to be quote-unquote canon. And they didn't even acknowledge it, which I liked. Like any, any of your cuts could be canon. Because they don't specifically acknowledge that, you know, Deckard is a replicant. It's implied and it's suggested, you know, through the dream sequences mainly, isn't it? But, um, yeah, it, it was. It's the same with um, what was the other one? Uh, the end of The Shining. That's always been my favorite. The, what the, the hell's picture, going on here? Like the picture. Yeah, yeah. That freaked me out. Yeah, that is freaky because you don't know what's going on. Now is he? Is it history repeating itself every time? Yeah. You know, and I was like... Or, like, I always thought when I was younger, he's been trapped in the hotel forever now, waiting for the next kind of thing. Yeah. Like you say, history repeating itself. But then I think Kubrick was the master of ambiguity at the time, you know, 2001 as well. If you can work out what the hell is going yeah. on at the end of that, then, then you can have a medal. But um, the interesting thing about that is the end in the novelization by Arthur C. Clarke was actually explained. And loads of people switched off because, you know, the end of that film is famous. So the star yeah. of the child and the yeah. score and then it just ends and you, you don't need to know what happens. And that, yeah, yeah I do miss that. <laughs> Going on about explaining some mistakes, like yeah. the, I mean, I, I, I love Donnie Darko. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, oh, there's another, another big one. Yeah. And when I started, uh, I mean, I, the story from Scott, it's got one of our favourite scenes where they the play Head Over Heels by Tears for Fear. You introduced every character, which is absolutely fantastic. I, I, I was there from day one on that film. Yes. Um, it's just because there's a story behind it that's too long for this. And uh, when they did the director's cut, yeah. I watched 10, 15 minutes of it and they explained it. And I'm like, I don't want this explained. But I, I, you know, I have my opinion of it and, yeah. I, and I like that. I don't want you, I don't want the director to tell yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. It's like I read this thing about uh, the Van about how when they were explaining about the meanings of songs, and yeah. just because it might mean something to Michael Stipe, the lead singer, you know, 
it could mean something to someone else. Yeah. Now, I, there's, there's no right or wrong yeah. answers. When you listen to a piece of music, you don't have a commentary going on or, or, or a director's cut or something coming out there saying, yeah. this is what this song means. This is what we really mean. Yeah. So, unless it's something, the song that has a specific meaning, like Everybody yeah. Hurts, it's going on the R.E.M. thing. It, you know, if it doesn't have a specific thing, it could mean anything to anybody. So yeah. that's As good. art should. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think someone who grasps this really well mod in the modern age is Tarantino. You know, like his earlier films are laced with ambiguity. You know, like what's in not what's in the box. Sorry, that's seven. Um, yeah. What's in the the briefcase that's gold? Like, yeah. what could that possibly be? Well, you don't need to know. And Reservoir Dogs. What happened at the heist? Well, you don't really need to know. You just know that it happened. Who actually shot who? Because he got the mysterious book. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And does and listening in the background to the audio, does Pink live or is he yeah. shot? And it's. It doesn't matter. No. Like I mean, it, it in in terms of in your own mind, it's it's so fun to go through, and I think that's the rise of fan theory would come yeah. with this in modern films. Although some of those can be a little bit tiring sometimes, but um, yeah, the idea of like in your own mind, you have. I think now the term is headcanon. Yeah. So like, if you say, "Well, in my headcanon, that's how that's explained," or you know that, I, and I like that sense of like building a universe in your own head as well as watching the one unfold on screen. I think that's that's really that's that's what filmmaking should be. Yeah, it should it should see with with things like novels, it's hard to do because a lot of the explaining has to be done in a written form, whereas films are perfect medium to sort of show or even imply something even in the sense of like showing it for a few frames and making you think that i just see what i thought i saw there you know yeah like uh, when tyler Durden used to splice uh, yeah, yeah 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 into into children's films yeah so it would be yeah such and such and such and such week, and all you see is yeah <laughs> and also brad pitt related weirdly and um, in seven at the end when um spoilers if you've not seen it but you should probably should have by now um <laughs> When Gwyneth uh, Paltrow's head's delivered in the box, what's in the box? Um, there's a subliminal flash of her popping up as they're discussing the last sort of the sin, and I, it took me ages to even notice it. And it's that—that's the sort of ambiguity that you think: Did I just see what I thought I saw there, or was that was that a mistake? Was that me doing that? That's I I love that sort of stuff. That's tell one one that's got me, and this is. This is just uh, it's worth it's a film I haven't seen in years, but I, I, I still love it. It's one of the ones I've got to be in the right mood. Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind. I've still not seen that. I'm not, I'm not just uh, it's, it's a spoiler, it's a bit of spoiler. It's the ending, you don't know where yeah, it's going to get together. Know, kind of, but it's yeah. done with different cuts. And yeah. You can know, count the amount of cuts there are. Yeah. It's like, do they get together or don't they? And I've always maintained that if you're in a positive state of mind and you're positive in a relationship, they get together. Yeah. But if you're not, then they, 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 they don't get together. At the end of the day, it's them just re yeah, going yeah. over and over and over and See, over and that's again. fantastic that your your mental attitude would affect the ending of the film, yeah. even though the film's been edited, cut, and you know done a certain way. That, that filmmaking where you can interpret the ending according to your own, you know, sort of mental state, I suppose, like, for want of a better term, that's, that's, that's great filmmaking. Yeah. And there's not many films I've seen do that, even... Even ambiguous films, it's hard to do it, like you just said, with them. Um, I mean, I haven't seen that, and I, I've only seen, I think I've only seen one of his films, is it Be Kind Rewind? Yeah, Be Kind Rewind, yeah. And I don't think that's even nearly remotely yeah. as... But it, 
yeah, it's it's a it's a talent that we're sadly not seeing very much of because of how pushy sort of mainstream the franchises are, I suppose. That everything has to link together because it's all yeah. working the next sequel and getting the big names. Because if, yeah. if you don't get big names, there's no point of having a big cinema release. Exactly, yeah. And I think this is something even Star Wars suffers from now. Like They make the galaxy far, far away smaller and smaller by connecting everyone. You know, I, I really just want to see a character who isn't related to someone else. I noticed that the other day when I was it's, when I was like, when were, oh, I was watching Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. And they're on Kashyyyk and a big oh yeah, big yeah. Kashyyyk is. I know what you were Yeah, saying. who do they meet? Who does Yoda meet? Like, on a planet Tarfles, of billions uh, of Wookiees. Tarfles and Chewbacca. Fan service. That's all it yeah. was for. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it's but it's yeah. I mean it's fair enough if you follow the main characters like Kylo Ren being related to Han Solo, that's fair enough. But I, I don't want Ray to be related to anyone, no. and I really will be disappointed a little bit if they do that in episode nine. I don't really, we don't need no these things explained. You've got all these people uh, bitching off about uh, because they wasted two years of their lives mo go building up fan theories about Snoke. Yeah, I mean, and why can't characters just be there, killed off, and then that's it? Yeah, I mean, I why mean, do they have to be? And important? isn't the fun of a fan theory that? You thought of something, and even if it's not true, you go, "Oh, well, I thought this would have happened, but that's that's cool. That's different." But yeah. I wasted two years of my life yeah. on this theory. Did you really? Like, oh. yeah. Well, I wasted ten years of my life having in my head the perfect ending for the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, how I wanted to see Jack Sparrow go out. Yeah. Then I saw Salazar's Revenge, or or uh, no, it's uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales yeah. internationally and the ending to me to that is a perfect ending for Jack and but it's not necessarily what you thought no. no did I feel like I'd wasted 10 years of my life having this ending in my head that didn't no I no. feel they did get up with a better ending I wasn't crying because it didn't it end the way yeah. I was like wow that's the real ending how I want it plus I post it can be ending one Part that's it. It was the perfect. I mean, how boring would it would art be if it just if what you wanted came true? If you, you know, if if people, if authors or you know, like directors, message people and says, "Oh, how do you want it to end?" But then, God, no, that would be yeah. No, it's not their vision then. Like if if a, if if a film disappoints me because of its ending, I won't berate the director or if it's not a technical if it's not an issue to do with their competency or technicality i won't then sit there and slag off that film because it because it disappointed me plot wise that's just what happens sometimes sometimes you like a plot and sometimes you don't but it doesn't game of thrones is the big one with this it wasn't ambiguous by any stretch of the imagination but just how many like this petition to refilm season eight it's just it's ridiculous because just because you didn't like it you know get over yourself it's, and we've said this many times, but it's just, it really annoys me that, that even fans are in that mentality that they can't accept ambiguity anymore. You know, well, I'm annoyed because Snoke was killed off for no reason. Well, that happens in real life, you know, and I, I can't tell you how many times I looked through those theories and thought, not going to happen, not going to happen, not going to happen. I, I wanna... It's not Boba Fett. <laughs> Uh, one, the Boba Fett, the, you know, I like the fact we still don't know if, if Boba Fett is. Yes, there's, there's a great ambiguity in, in, a, in an otherwise unambiguous franchise. You're now, right. anyway. I always thought, and this is 
because I'm not into the expanded universe or anything like that. I've I'm just pure Star Wars movies, and I am an original generation as well. So, but to me, the ending of Return of the Jedi was so perfect. For years, I just thought, what happens to them afterwards? I don't know. I, I'm be honest, I don't want to know. I don't yeah. know. I. But does it make me any less of a fan by not caring why I have? It's not that I don't care. That's the one way of saying it. It's bothered. Not yeah, bothered. no. Yeah. I always thought the, when they're celebrating, on, it's like you take the perfect photograph of the ending and that's it. It's, it's all frozen in time. Yeah. That, that's snapshot. it. Snapshot. I think that's why a lot of films in the age used to end on snapshots, doesn't it? Yeah. That was the last image you saw to, to remember that film by. But I oh, just came up with one. You know, Mary, you know, one that I actually. Like, you know, with the American Pie movies, especially yeah. the first two and the uh, American Reunion. Everyone, the first ones, they go off to do greatness. Yeah. And uh, you come back to them. And they haven't. And their lives haven't panned out the way you expect. Yeah, yeah. Transporting two, Renton and the others, especially oh. Renton, is not in the place where you expect them. Yeah, or want them to be. Yeah, because you invest so much time with them but Trainspotting 2 for me is one of the best ones that's came out in the last 10 years uh, because it's not what you expect. I expected yeah. and you know you, I mean at the end of uh, Trainspotting you know you don't know what's going to happen to Sick Boy and the money he's got no you know what's he going to do use it change his life around or is he going to go become a completely out of smack head again what's Renton gonna do? Yeah, uh, you know, is uh, maybe gonna go after them? What about Sick Boy? And you know, we don't have all these answers no. until Train Spotting Two, which doesn't ruin it. Yeah, but you know, but we had about twenty years for that. Yeah, on the same token, you don't need to know what happens in between the gap either. No, like I, I don't need to know what happens between Episode Six and Episode Seven. No. You just know that some bad shit has gone down, but you don't need to know what it was, or or you don't need to have like I I think when they bring up the comics and the the novels and the games, you know it's nice to delve into that universe and out again, but I I prefer expanded universe stuff to take place with people you've never seen before or, or characters you've only glimpsed for a second or something like that. That's that's the ambiguity in that sense that I like, but yeah, I think it's. Horror is a big example of this as well now. Like horror thrives in the independent scene because you have these really talented directors bring a single vision with no sequel, maybe usually with no sequels, and that they hit it out of the park in like in an hour and thirty minutes. Whereas when you have things like Friday the Thirteenth or Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street, you have to keep that continuity going, and the only way to do that is through sequels. You have to. And thing I notice is, is, you know, you have to you have to vanquish the villain before you've also got to give the whole. This is actually the I haven't really watched the horror films since the early nineties, but you've got to have it so that you can go to bed safely. Yeah. But then you have the little bounce at the end. But can you? Yeah, You've yeah. got to know he might st- the boogeyman might still be out there. I think like the end of um, Nightmare on Elm Street when you know when the. They, they drag he drags the mother through the door. Yeah, that really awful looking dummy now. But um, if you cut the rest of the sequels out, that's a great ambiguous ending for me because you think, well, is he dead or were they just dreaming again? You know, like that's yeah. that doing stuff in the dream world was what what made that franchise so so really so 
entertaining, I think, because you can do un unlimited things. In, and that's what ambiguity should be. It should be dreamlike. You shouldn't know what's going on sometimes. A lot of the European directors now do things like that. But Lars von Trier and uh, the guy who did Drive, Nicholas Winding Refn. His films, are, their films are very ambiguous. And it's nice to just have that mystery there. I mean, I don't know if you can think of any, any more big ones that you thought of on this. I don't know what to do. Uh, we keep, keep playing my head, and I can't stand the film. <laughs> oh, good, oh, it's yeah. Terminator Salvation. Oh, right. Where you don't know what the... Uh, who's his name? The Aussie guy. Oh, Sam Worthington. Yeah, you don't yeah. know what his crime was. Yeah. But I couldn't care, because by that no, film, I couldn't care about that film. That's not the that isn't in favour of the film, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, you know, he... he it, you know, it might have actually been all right to actually know what he did. Yeah. But I like the way that you don't. But at the end of the day, the film was terrible, so I it's didn't really care for it. So there hasn't been a good time in film since 1991, oh. in my opinion. I like the, I like the more, of a pro, more of the original Terminator. Yeah, the first one. See, the, there's the ambiguity in the first one as well. You know, before you know who Arnie is in it, you're thinking, like, who the hell is this guy? Like, what? why is he so powerful? And... And then when Kyrie explains who he is, that's when you think, wow, this guy's scary. Like, I mean, Cameron doesn't do ambiguity very much, I don't think. But the first Terminator is an example of him honing the craft of that. You know, like setting up disparate story elements that once they're explained, they're made stronger in this sense rather than weaker. But there's not many people that can do that sort of thing now, I don't think, that that can have ambiguity and then explain it and still have it be enjoyable. I think the explaining away just sort of does it in for me now. That nowadays they use everything's sequel, so you have to make it yeah, explain yeah. it so that it sets it up for the next one and the next one. The and diminishing the next returns, one. yeah. I mean yeah. even even the MCU, which I love to love to bits, there's there's not really much ambiguity in there. But it kind of works in that because you need to have the possibility of setting up the next character. And the next character's sequel, and then the team up, the inevitable team up. You know, there's a formula for these films, yeah. but it's a formula that does work in this sense. Whereas with things like DC, it doesn't work. Yeah. You know, but um, we do riff on DC quite a lot here. I'm not. I'm not saying I hate them. It's just I you know, just the... through. Uh, I didn't sound through. I slept for an hour ago, and I didn't feel like I missed anything. Was that Aquaman? Oh, Aquaman. Uh, yeah. I wanted to see it because it's just because it's got Tamara Morrison and uh, Dolph Lundgren in it, and I fell asleep for an hour. Uh, my fiance said, "What did I miss?" My fiance said, "You missed about an hour," and I was like, "Okay." Oh. So I still get the gist of the film, and I was like, "Do I really want to miss watch the hour I've missed?" Oh no, 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 <laughs> no, no! But you, you, yeah, superhero films are the ones that you really. It can't work, can it? I mean, I suppose Watchmen sort of tried it, didn't it? That's quite an ambiguous. Good. Yeah, that, watch, I like Watchmen. I'm quite a fan of Watchmen. And so. I don't like anybody that says this is over long or any no, negative no, criticism about it. Just, be, really, yeah. it? It's, Watchmen's a brilliant film. I like the fact that they took the alien out yeah, and yeah. They replaced it with. They, this is say Zack Snyder, if he's got, if he can use his own color palette, and yeah. he's got complete range to do things, he can do he's strokes good, yeah. of genius. I mean, yeah. I, I read the comic book after I watched the film. Yeah, so I'm not a fan of the comic book. But I like the film. Yeah. I, I think it's it's way overrated than, than it should be. It's not bad by any means because it's down more, isn't it? But yeah, yeah I, I just think, I think the film is much better. Like, I think for me, the comic book's a bit cold. And the film has sort of glimpses of hope and, and 
yeah, I think it just works better. I, don't, I can't explain it. I don't know why. It's like *Beef Vendetta*. I think the film is much better than the comic. When I read the comic book cast and I saw the film, I was like, they say that uh, *Watchmen* was unfilmable, and I thought that *Beef Vendetta* was a harder thing yeah, to tackle. Yeah, I honestly, I agree with that. I think a lot of Alan Moore is unfilmable, and I think that's the reason he keeps his name off yeah. a lot of things, isn't it? But even if you go to those sort of films, there's *Beef Vendetta* is quite ambiguous. You know, you don't need to see. What he looks like, just dread. Or ju- yeah, just dread. Yeah, see, dread was done perfectly with Carl Urban, yeah. because he acts with his chin. You know, not not just that, but acting chops. There's a new yeah. <laughs> But then, um, like, you, he doesn't take his mask off, his helmet off for the whole film, and it's it works because Judge Dread should be this mysterious character who carries out his own justice. You know, as well as he works for the system, he does carry out extrajudicial justice, uh, justice as well. So. I was Judge Fred's always been like a sort of hero villain for me, like, a bit like the Punisher, I yeah. think, but in the future. So yeah, I think characters like that aren't clear cut heroes, they they thrive well in ambiguity. Again, Deckard, yeah. you know, it's the old hard boiled detective type, isn't it? And all those films, as studio as they were in the forties and fifties, all the the what they called film noir, sorry, they're all they rest on their ambiguity, don't they? Detective stories, and. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm just rambling, but yeah, it's it is something that's definitely missing. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't actually see the face. Uh, no, that's, uh, you, you know, when you, even when you, see, even when you see the fire, yeah, you see him from behind. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you turned me on to the new Halloween, the Danny McBride one. Oh yeah, and yeah. and I like the way that even when uh, Michael Myers is in the. Uh, a sanit- a sanitarium is it? Yeah, yeah. You actually don't see his face; they cut it, so you never see a clear shot of what he looks like. Yeah, you sort of almost get a tease. Yeah, and it, it's and it's sort of like you you don't want to know what he looks no. like because it, it it's you just his face is the mass. Yeah, and I like that. I thought it was I thought that was it was brilliant. Uh, off of I mean, as an extension of that example, actually, in the original. 78 um, John Carpenter one his mask does actually get knocked off at the end by accident and you see his face underneath but so many people think they see a deformed scarred face and John Carpenter just said I just filmed the guy as he looked like you you put that onto the film and so many people actually thought I could have swore blind he was I mean I, I for years I was like yeah some guy's got like a scar on his eye and he's deformed and you watch it again and you're like oh actually no he isn't like I just thought that and that's true power in, in filmmaking. I think the Halloween films are the only slasher franchise that can do ambiguity quite well because Michael Myers is, is not, you know, he's not solid like Jason and he, he's not a comedy actor like Freddy. So he's just silent and relentless and the, the angles that Carpenter uses at the end of the first one and of this one as well where you it sort of goes through each room in the house and you don't, there's nothing there. That's, that's, how horror works with ambiguity. That was, I mean, I don't do horror, but that was scary. I actually, yeah. and I actually, I just thought it was, I thought it was a great film, and yeah. you know, it actually, it actually amped up the, the tension. And I hope it, I hope it brings back that sort of, I mean, it's a kind of reboot, I think. It's like a sequel. What is it? Are they got a recall? Yeah. It's like a sequel to the original, but imagine none of the other ones happened. So I think if it's done well, then we can expect this sort of thing from all the other 
horror franchises because I think Blumhouse are. You look at you look at uh, Jason. Yeah, it's yeah. always at the end of the film. You always yeah, get his mask always. knocked off. So you always yeah. know what he looks like. You always know what yeah. a monster looks like. But and he is a monster. Yeah, like he is like in the traditional sense more a monster than the other two. I think. Yeah. Um, Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, the Frankenstein films. He, he always at the end, you know, dies. But you think, oh, is, is he dead though? Yeah. Oh, not him. Sorry, the monster. Yeah. And Dracula as well. The old Christopher Lee, yeah. the Hammer ones. You know, you always think. Could he come back? Maybe. You need that fear. <coughs> That's a different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Chris Blue was good at that sort of playing the same role but different each time. Yeah, Christopher Lee. Yeah, he's brilliant. Mario P. Listen, but yeah, we saw he was immortal. Not because he played yeah, Dracula. He was. He's one of those. He is an actual count. Yeah. <laughs> Not oh. just in fiction, yeah. but yeah. No, I mean. There was another one I thought of film, but I can't think of it now. Maybe it'll come back to me. 1984, the ending. Yeah, oh God, yeah, yeah. 19, even the novel is... Some... It's always one of these films I sat down and didn't expect to watch, but yeah. I always... But, you know, because it's, it's so, so dark. It's very dark. And then, the, then the ending, and then the, I was thinking about it, because I was half asleep when I watched it. Yeah. And the next day, when your brain processes everything, yeah, yeah. it's like, It's wow. quite hard to watch, If you're not in the right frame of mind, that's... that's that's on the list of films you shouldn't watch if yeah. you feel depressed or yeah. down or... It's good. Yeah, it is good, yeah, yeah. John Hurt. Yeah. And, oh, one of them. He rests the pieces as well, but there's, and, there's uh, so many good ones gone. One of, I think it's Richard Burton's last role in 1984. I'm sure it is. Could Plays yeah. O'Brien. You know, but, yeah, I mean, that's a fantastic example of ambiguity feeding fear because, like, uh, Winston's always... In, that, in the film and the novel as well, they play with the system, the state, sorry, plays with fear and people's perception of it. And that's that can only really be done with ambiguity. You know, what's in Room 101 for me? Yeah. Like, again, it's one of those examples of taking your mental state into yeah. the films, thinking, well, what, would, what would be in Room 101 for me? And I think that's truly scary. It'd just be a room full of spiders for me. But, <laughs> um, I have no idea. There might be many things, yeah. actually, I don't know. But, a world without love. Yeah, we'll go with that, yeah, that would do. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of the film I, I was going to speak of today, and it left me. I don't know, maybe... Do you hate Oh, yeah, I mean, early George Lucas was really ambiguous, isn't it? Even American Graffiti. I mean, I, I, the only part about that film I don't like is the ending where it explains what everyone did after the film. I, I'd like that to have just been... I know I know some of it is like they died in Vietnam or... But well, that's a genre. You know, he yeah, created yeah. the genre of the team movie. I get the sense that that was kind of asked for by the studio. You need to have maybe, it, yeah, cause it happy been, yeah. We'll probably... Well, I don't know. It was in the 70s, which was New Hollywood, wasn't it? So happy endings weren't necessarily needed back then that was the start of doing darker films wasn't it and it was yeah. also the genre that we picked it, yeah so I think it something was a like good, one of those fun, it was, he was dead to do a, a good old fashioned yeah uh, fun movie yeah that was it you can't really follow these characters at least in the first one I, yeah I haven't seen the sequel so it'd be like America like I said, back to American Pie you, at the end of American Pie they were all going off to the futures which yeah. nice and happy not not especially oh, with Finch yeah yeah yeah. You expect to go with greatness, and he's and he lies about it, doesn't he? So yeah, he's been around the world, and 
he hasn't. He's just he working at a coffee shop. Or yeah, and, it's, and how many people can relate to that? Yeah, you know, it's. I, I, I reject the idea that these some of these teen comedies are just toilet humor because they do have deeper. American Pie, especially, I think that was the last great sort of epic teen comedy. But again, it wouldn't have happened without American Graffiti. Yeah, Harold and Kumar. Harold, yeah, how like, uh, yeah, especially Harold and the the uh, way it deals with racism and everything. Yeah, uh, I just the thing with so I I would compare Harold and Kumar and the American Pie movies because everything else they take the blueprint but take the heart away. Yes, and at least with American Pie and Harold and Kumar's. If you take away all the toilet humour, they've the all got a good heart. And that's, yeah, yeah. that's the thing that grounds these films. Yeah, yeah. It is. And, but, you know, it, it's like anything. Anything becomes big. You you, you, like, you can sit down and you can write what makes the film yeah. in the construct. But you can also, then you take it and go, well, we're missing if the harvey you gotta yeah, yeah. look dig deep down and find out why these were a success it's not because it's like how many spin-offs that have you rip off there are oh, those yeah, films yeah, yeah. And they're even, all rubbish even the straight to dvd american pie movies which i won't watch yeah if they were going the only reason the straight to dvd is because they were easy to throw out there. yeah exactly yeah and you get a cameo from someone from the main series yeah. and bob's your uncle but it yeah it's that's that's totally true like what can you take away each time from each film like, what's the maximum amount of factors you can take away from the list and then you still have something at the end which gives it the essence? I think that's 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 what works with those sort of... Um, the, it works better and that's the sort of ambiguity that works in comedy. What can you take away that strips it away till it's like a basic element? And that that's definitely... Oh, that I know what I was going to talk about. Sorry, it's a total ch yeah. a tone change. But, Tell them about these. Um, Star Trek The Motion Picture. Yeah. Gotta be one of the most ambiguous films ever made. You know, like what the hell is going on? Vija. Yeah, Vija. Yeah, and um, but that was another bomb because I think they were expecting they were expecting Wrath of Khan, weren't they? First, yeah. you know, like this great epic Star Trek. This is our first movie. Let's make it good. Oh wait, sorry, we just did an episode. <laughs> I liked it. I like. Yeah, I, I mean, upon, it's one of those films like The Phantom Menace that when you go and watch it again, you realise the genius that is actually behind it. And it, it is a good, it is a good movie. I mean, it's better than some of like you know, Nemesis and. I must say, I mean, I'm not a Trekkie, and this is no, not no. before anybody jumps on the bandwagon. So I Star Wars fan. Uh, I, I, it's next generation. Yeah, I yeah, tried to watch the original Star Trek. Deep Space Nine was always good, good or bad. Didn't really, couldn't really get into all the other stuff. Uh, yeah, but the motion picture to me, because I watched it a few years ago. After a long while of not watching yeah, it's not it, bad, really, actually. I actually thoroughly enjoyed it, and this is the one that's you're right. It is, and uh, yeah, I like uh, the whole the whole Voyager thing, the, the Voyager probe, and and bringing yeah. it back to reality. Yeah, and and I actually, you know, you can't give Star Wars out, in, you know, because it was a it was a knock on effect to Star Wars. Oh, of course, and yeah. from right, you you know this. It they were going to do a Star Trek TV series, but when Star Wars came out, boom, straight Star to the Trek movies. Phase two. Yeah, so. Uh, that's why I like the motion. I like the motion picture because it, it yeah. was it was Star Trek, but it was Star Trek and it had brains. They had yeah, they had the balls to try, basically filming an episode for cinemas. And I've actually found the the last Star Trek film Beyond. That's what I liked about that. It felt like a TV. It felt like an episode instead of following on from the plot from the last film. And I 
I quite like when they do that and it succeeds. I mean, they have done it and it's not succeeded. So Insurrection was basically an episode film and it didn't work. But yeah, the motion picture is is like one of the... It's what Star Trek should be. It's a voyage and it's into the unknown and it's the Enterprise meets God, which was Roddenberry's summary of every episode of Star Trek. Sort of like when they did it in Star Trek V. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I, I, uh, if Star Trek was released today, yeah, as it is, you know, the motion picture, it might have been more of a success because I yeah. think we're more open-minded now. Because towards t- yeah, and our TV is a lot more cerebral now. Yeah, it? so I, I would, you know, I would be tempted if they ever did a, a good deluxe box set of the original, just the Star Trek motion picture. I think I thought I'd do it. I mean, I'm gonna this would get me lynched. I think of all the Star Trek films, it's probably the strongest in my opinion. It, because it's just it's had the bravest that, as yeah. well. Because it's the first, and it's you know, and they brought on someone like Robert Wise, who did West Side Story before, and had only dabbled in science fiction. I think he did uh, the day the F stood still. Yeah. You know, so he wasn't an incompetent director by any stretch of the imagination. Imagination, but he wasn't. Wasn't necessarily a Star Trek guy either, which is what worked with the Abrams or a couple of the Abrams ones. You know, they brought a guy on who wasn't a massive Star Trek fan, <coughs> so he had to adapt it to people that didn't like it. Also, but that works because if you've got someone, it does. Who are like a fanboy? Yeah, yeah. You're literally ticking all the boxes. You get lost. Well, uh, you got this has got to be in here because you got this. It's got to be here. They've got to, yeah. be, got to play fan service to this, and then. But if you've got someone that can see the bigger picture, yeah, yeah, and go, well, what works, 100%. what doesn't work, and bang yeah then again you get all the fanboys i've had conversations with people before who don't like certain things in the mcu because it doesn't follow the comic books yeah it's not it's an adaptation comic book. you're not watching yeah, yeah. i don't Just read the comics if you want to yeah, yeah i i uh i read the infinity Gauntlet after i watched uh infinity war oh yeah yeah i enjoyed it and but you don't see me bitching off about because it's not no. like the comic book and the comic book's not like the film uh or the book's better than the yeah. film, you know. That's, and, that's the common argument, isn't it? Yeah. And the Japanese story uh, for the for the Wolverine completely yeah. different. Yeah. And I like them both equally. Dark Phoenix for the comic book. Oh but, yeah, I mean that's a given. Yeah. Um, so uh, you you've tried two, two attempts and yeah. no, but it's that sort of that mentality is annoying to me. You know, like it's not like oh, the comic it's book because it is the book. You know, it's 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 not. I mean, if you read the Again, going back to Blade Runner, if you read the original novel it's based on, uh, Andrew's Dream of Electric Sheep, it's nothing like the film. And I think most people go into it and expecting exactly what they've seen in the film. And not much of the film actually happens in the novel. Same with Frankenstein. Every single person that I've recommended the novel to, because I've overstudied it at university, sadly. Um, Be proud! Yeah, uh, yeah I'll try to. They go, they go in expecting the lightning and the, it's alive and... You know, there's there's a chapter in Frankenstein where the monster's being made, and then the next chapter he's alive. You know, so it, again, it's that. I think good adaptations take what what's good about the original, like you say, the heart, and they bring it in, and they pulled their own ambiguities around that that heart, and that's how that's how you do that. I, I yeah, I can't stand the, the books better than the film, even if it is. It doesn't matter. It's not a. It does. It's a moot point. You're watching a film. You're not reading a book. I hope you. This is uh, the ending of uh, Time Traveler's Wife. I I watched the film Time Traveler's Wife. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah. And 
I was like, I was determined for so I've already seen it twice in the cinema, but I was determined to read the book. And the fastest time I ever read read a book was in the week in between seeing Time Traveler's Wife, and I was determined to see it again. And the ending to the Time Traveler's Wife with one thing. Spoiler, spoiler, spoilers. The, the ending of the book yeah. is set in the future where she's thread the Richard McAdams character is still waiting. And uh, oh, okay. he comes have you seen it? I haven't no, but I do I have heard people say about the yeah. ending. The uh yeah, it is more the book's got more of a downbeat ending. Yeah. It is. And it's I'm glad they ended the film the way they, they did. Yeah. Because it would have made it would have bummed the ending out. Yeah, sometimes the, the bum ending's not what you want, is it? I mean sometimes yeah. it's it annoys me when they tack on the happy ending, but then sometimes you do need a happy ending now and again. Yeah, chasing it, the ending of uh, Chasing Avi is not what you expect. Oh, there's a film I saw recently where the, where the ending is... La La Land! Oh, La La Land, yeah, yeah. Brilliant ending. Yeah, you there's know... a great ambiguous, yeah. you know, mainstream genre that when, like you say, the original, every musical you watch years ago, you know, most of them, I'd say 90% end happily. Because that's what people want in musicals. Yeah. But then, you know, going into this film, I was thinking, oh, God, what am I doing? I don't like musicals. And then this, the end of this film, we were, we were like, holy, holy yeah. crap, like, what the hell's going on here? Like, but it worked in the situation, I think. And that's the great thing about it. It does work when it's done correctly. Sometimes, like, the, for me, the, the most tacked on end in, in the history of films ever made is Harry Potter. That whole 30 years... That whole 18 years later sequence annoys the hell out of me in the books. And I just know for a fact that was an editor request to say, can we just have a little bit more after the... You know, and it's not... I wanted to come up with my own idea of what happened. Like we said earlier, at the end of Return of the Jedi. I mean, imagine if they came up to Richard Marquand slash George Lucas yeah. <laughs> and said, um, oh, no, sorry, we want a little five years later thing tacked on. It just diminishes... George could say who's giving the money. Yeah, who's ponying up the money? Here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it would it would diminish the the emotion and the feelings. I suppose and I think with, that's with Harry Potter. It's the whole happy ever after thing. Yeah, yeah. It's... And if you know that they get married, it's it's it's, it's like girls get when I grow up, I'm gonna marry the rock star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's number one right now, who I or love more it's... than anything. Yeah. And I will live happily ever after. Or, you know, it, everything ramps itself up in a yeah, nice, yeah. clean way. And I think you need that in, the, in that. Yeah. Because I'm all, I'm all the audience for today. I think nice, clean ending now and again. You know, that I, I understand that sometimes as well, authors can't let go of certain characters, so they have to make a happy ending. But I don't know, for me, that always felt like a bit sort of. You know, in it, another example that I do like where it's done is Lord of the Rings in the films. Which, which I know you're not a fan yeah, of. But yeah, like when they keep blacking out the film and then coming back with another bit, I think that really works because, you know, the, the book does just end. But in that sense, you've been with these characters for so long. Like you have with Harry Potter, but I think just having a, yeah, they chucked it in and now they're back home ending wouldn't have worked. And I, th I don't know why, I can't explain why that works in that, but not in Harry Potter. I just think the audience it feels tacked on to me in Harry Potter, whereas it doesn't in Lord of the Rings. We disagree. I mean, because like I said, I haven't seen Lord of the Rings since I saw the cinema, so... Uh, Actually, tell a lie, I saw them on extended cuts. Are they so extended 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, I was still with one of my exes at the time, so it's... But I think it's a generational thing with Harry Potter. You need to yeah, have yeah. 
the audience package the, of Star Wars. Yeah, the yeah. audience for the generation that grew up after Return of the, Return of the Jedi weren't as demanding now as the generations no. that, the Harry Potter generations because we need everything all clean cut because it's explained and, yeah. yeah whereas yeah. the Star Wars generation you know like I said is you look at Star Wars six years we're in 1783 yeah so that's not that much whereas the Harry Potter's are seven yeah. books yeah so yeah. You've got it sort of like they've got the kids that grew, <coughs> whereas the original generation had six years with these. Yeah. The original Harry, the Harry Potter fans that grew up as a kid reading it literally went through their lives. So yeah. they want to know that. They want to know that the ending is going to be nice for them because yeah, yeah, they want their lives as well yeah. to have the happy ending. By giving the happy ending to Harry Potter, it yeah, is yeah. sort of saying, your life, when you've, you've just hit 17 or 18, you've been reading Harry Potter, but your mums and dads have been reading Harry Potter, or your two mums or your two dads, whatever family you have have all yeah. been reading these books to you since you were a kid and you've grown up with them so now you want to know what your future is going to be well your future is going to be this yeah. whereas if you go back to 1990 back to the future your future is not written it's what anything you want to make of it yeah, so yeah. you've got that compared to the ending of harry potter where they say well uh, martin does like going the end of tacking on for back to the future part three martin jennifer have kids they don't go to uh to what was it, what was it dale hilldale yeah that's it yeah Hill Glendale, Valley. not Glendale. Hill Valley. Hill, let's see, Hill Valley. Yeah, so I haven't watched Back to the Future. I've so loved Back to the Future. Back to the Future. Whatever it is, yeah, they go to the housing estate, Hilldale. I think it is. Yeah, I think Hill Valley's the town, isn't it? Is, it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they, and they imagine that if you see like Mike Marty and Jennifer in twenty fifteen, because you know what happens to them in one timeline, then the alternative timeline, then you know. But we don't need to know, like again, snapshot, like Return of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah. But now everything has to be. In the end of you, yeah, I did a Terminator Two. You don't know if Judgment Day is still going to no, happen. But... The end of Terminator Judgment Day is yeah. going to happen. But now everything, like we were saying, has to be spoon fed because yeah. we have to come out with a happy ending. Heroes have to do this. Yeah, it's sort of like even Captain America has the happy ending. Yeah, yeah, it kind of works though with that. Oh, that's the if, best if ending. Screwed him on a happy ending. I'll probably. That's the ending. I would. I, yeah, you yeah. Did that okay. I'm, as a fanboy, uh, big Captain America fan. That was a long play, though, wasn't it? You know, like the whole series yeah. to get that ending. The dance, the payoff works. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, I, I, here's one of the biggest screw-ups of ambiguity from something in modern times: the prequels, midi chlorians. <laughs> I can handle the midi chlorians. I can't handle the midi chlorians. Really annoyed me because they're trying to explain something that was mystical in the original trilogy as science, and I know that's what we tend to do now with mysticism. But I, that is something to me that was quite special in the original trilogy. You know, like you didn't really know what the force was, and you didn't really know where it came. I mean, you knew like Obi Wan said it's you know the force that binds the galaxy together, but. You didn't know what that was really, and then when they said, "Oh yeah, it's just things in ourselves," I just thought, "What? Yeah. Like, what is this? You've just boiled it down to science, bunch of Nazis." Not cool. <laughs> not cool. I, I, I go goes to Revenge of the Sith, which is thank you for bringing this up. Is I always like the whole the, the fact that we never knew what Anakin did during the Clone Wars, and then when yeah. you get, then when it turns out that that he actually murdered young yeah, legs, child murder, it's a bit and it changed the it changes. The ending of Return of the Jedi from being he was redeemed, he was just uh he did stuff but we don't know what it was. Yeah. He's a child murderer, it turned the ending of 
uh, uh, Return of the Jedi into the worst kind of Catholicism ever. Saying on your deathbed, you can turn to the light if you repent your sins. Yeah, yeah. Oh, was it? Oh. Pirates of the Caribbean. One one good deed does not does not make up for a thousand bad deeds. Yeah, yeah. So he does one good deed by uh, saving Luke and killing the Emperor. He's still a child murderer. Yeah, which is and a I didn't like that. It pissed me right off. I mean, if you, what what I I, I mean, what would have been forgivable for me? Well, maybe not forgivable. He's still a murderer, but you know, if it had been adult Jedi's yeah. Jedi that could defend themselves, you know, that's different because they're fighting back. But yeah, that scene never sat right with me. The, the whole you know, Master Skywalker, what should we do? And I just you know, cut or bring. Uh, what I would have done is bring the the troopers in to kill them and have Anakin turn around just so he can't watch sort of thing. So he's still culpable, but, yeah. you know, at least then you think, well, I can kind of give him he didn't want to do it, you know. He's got no blood on his it's hands. Physically, yeah, Physically, yeah. but it's sort of... When he did that, it, you know, you don't notice it until a few viewings. And you go, wait a minute, this is... Uh, they have completely knocked the ambiguity out of the Darth Vader character. Yeah, yeah. Because whereas he was... After Empire Strikes Back, after you really find out that he's Anakin Skywalker... It makes him from being a sympathetic character to, to an asshole. To be honest, yeah, yeah. he's an asshole that's easily led. I mean, I can understand George Lucas for the fact that he's showing that love is a weakness and love and fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. And I can understand all that, but doesn't that? But having it all spelled out, what Anakin no, did during the Clone Wars, it, it really no. They did it really annoyed me, and the whole having Padme. How did Padme die? And you know, you find out she died of a... That means her a selfish bitch. Yeah. I didn't like the way that they turned a really strong female character into possibly the weakest one in the series. Yeah, yeah. And they turned Especially a sympathetic character. She's supposed to be Leia's mother. Yeah. Who's the strongest woman in the series. Obviously, her step-parents had... Uh, not step-parents, her adoptive parents yeah, were yeah. a lot more... More, yeah, figurative, yeah. Yeah, and... But I didn't... Well, I remember, yeah. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I think... Um, any sort of crime involved in children is pretty hard to forgive, isn't it? Yeah. Like, which is not to diminish crime against adults as well, but I think when you when you took this character that was like he was uber famous, wasn't he, Darth I mean, he's still, in my opinion, the greatest villain of all time. But he's a character that everyone knows, and even in some senses identified with. You know, we've all done stuff in our life that we regret. And you can clearly tell that Vader's always regretting this this thing that he's done. And you never knew what it was. Like, you never knew the fight between Obi-Wan and him. You never knew. And, yeah, I mean, I never thought I would actually describe Star Wars as ambiguous in some senses. But Vader was the big part of that. And also, like you say, uh, spinning off of that, the Emperor. Like, the first one, you, you hear about him and you see it. You only see a glimpse of him in Empire Strikes Back. And you think, who's this guy? Like, who's this guy that's... And then in Return of Jada, you know, like, um, when he says to... The guy at the beginning about um, yeah, the emperor is not as forgiven as I am. Yeah. You think, what you strangle people, mate? Like, what's this guy going to be like? That's the sort of like building that mythology ambiguity that I loved as well. Uh, you, you know, yeah, they have it. I'm not going to knock on the the, the, uh, the prequel trilogy because I actually no, enjoy no, it. Yeah. And I've noticed how, especially now, it's the seven, eight, and nine come out because come on, you got to have a fanboys. You got to have something to. To bitch off about. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, oh, remember those films that you were slagging off for the past ten years or so. You're yeah. loving now. The previous bitch fest. Yeah. So, so like, we just keep, we, we we can't be happy, can we? We just can't be happy. No. We've always got to. We've got to hate on the things we love. 
Yeah, it's quite uh, ironic, it's, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I. Yeah, there's an ambiguity for you. Yeah. What? Yeah, I, I tell you one thing is, you know, for uh, going back to these fan conventions and especially the Star Wars ones I've been to. Yeah. Is you know I went to my first one. Just well, uh, I've been to two now. So it was just about two years ago. I went to my first one. Yeah. And. Uh, I was uh, I, I was waiting for the negative fanboys to come out, and when you, when you go to these places where people have to travel to get to, you realise that all of these people, and then you watch all the celebration stuff when Kelly Marie Tran are the best. Yeah. Uh, when they come on stage and they get these big applauses, because the hardcore community are not the ones that kick it up a stink. We're the ones that that love the characters, yeah, yeah. but and then you've got all these other ones, the uh, so-called fanboys that, that are the ones that kicking up. The, yeah, and it's the sting. It, because it's more negative as well. I think it's sort of harder to accept for a lot of the older fan base. You know, like because we we're not by any means saying that everything's perfect. You know, like there are stuff you'd still change, or or you, or you you would think oh, I didn't like this bit or that bit. But it's never a case of refilm the whole film yeah. and you know sack that director and this and that. You know, because it's just. It's just silly doing things like that. It's just, it's just venomous, and I don't like it. <laughs> so what do you think about Boba Fett now? Because we know he used a clone of Django, whereas before he was just this mysterious. Yeah, see, that's it. I really didn't like that as well. And Boba Fett with an Australian accent or New Zealand, New Zealand. accent. Yeah, just, uh, it just doesn't. I'm nothing against those accents whatsoever, but I just don't picture Boba Fett having that accent. I I got an idea. It was too uh, while well, I was getting used to them replacing the original Boba Fett yeah, voice with Tamara Morris. Shamefully, I don't actually know the original guy's name. Me neither. I know Tamara Morris. I like Tamara Morris. You see, and uh, I got big big shout out to Daniel Logan and Jeremy Bullock who played your but I like Boba Fett. Okay, but yeah, Boba Fett's cool. Yeah, I don't care who plays him. There's your cool. there's your one hundred percent ambiguous character from Star Wars. You know, no one before knew anything about Boba Fett. Yeah. He said two lines in the whole yeah. trilogy. Well, not many. And you think, this guy's cool, but I can't explain why. Like He looks it. He just looks, yeah, yeah. I've got to say, this is a little shout-out again. Uh, you know, when I see Boba Fett, as yeah. cool as Boba Fett is, I, I think the people who play Boba Fett, especially, you know, your Daniel Logan and your Jeremy Bullock, they're both as cool as Boba Fett as a character. Yeah. They are cool as people. Um, now, I mean, I'm a fan of Boba Fett, but I think Daniel Logan and Jeremy Bullock are just... Uh, really nice guys. Yeah, but yeah, uh, that's me going on to my. Let's be going on my little fanboy little trip here. So no, but it's that like that sort of love for a character you know little about that Star Wars does so well. I think you know there are entire universes that you could explore in Star Wars with background characters who have seconds of screen time. That's the the wonderful nature of of that that galaxy. I think like the, there's you know people that, you could go around the cantina in the first one in in the New Hope. Sorry. And you could create a backstory for each and every alien in there. I, I mean, there's have. probably been done. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, but that's, that's, you could do it in episode seven then yeah. in, in the canteen, the scene on that, you know, it, it's just, that's an ambiguity that's great. Like, you, you, you don't know who these characters are. And in your head, you're thinking of what they do and who they are. And, you know, you, you can, there's Star Wars name generators on the internet now, so you could just turn your name into a Star Wars name. And it, it's that great sort of building a backstory even though you don't have one that's that's missing as well from a lot of films and and do you know ambiguity wise as well thanos is a great 
example of this in the MCU, saying saying the MCU didn't have any actual lines. Yeah. When you first see him, you think, unless you're a hardcore fan, I was thinking, who's this purple guy? Like, yeah. And it's great seeing him building as the main villain in the background. That's fantastically done. I don't like the word you just used. Villain. He's not a villain. No, no, well, well He's not a villain. It depends on your it depends on your on the way you look at it. Questionable methods anti hero. Really. Yeah, to me he he has logic to what he does. It's yeah. the same with uh, Eric Lensham. He's a yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a he's a one hundred percent villain in endgame. I think because it's the past version of him that's bitter still. Whereas in Infinity War I really found it hard to hate him. Because he, he's such a you know, he, when he says to Tony about I hope they remember you. Like, yeah. you know, they he has mutual respect that they're trying to fight it's for what they believe in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I think in Endgame he's like the old because it's the older version of him. He's the genocidal, you know, <laughs> lunatic. But he still has deep down what he wanted to do. He wanted yeah. to cut the universe in half, and he says that rather than going around picking out, he doesn't. It's not the weak. It's not the poor. It's not the it's rich. Everyone, yeah. It's everyone's fifty percent. And there's logic to what he's doing. Yeah. Whereas you could argue that the Avengers are the villains because they are the ones so that him, are yeah, trying yeah. to stop, stop, stop what he's trying to make the universe right. Yeah. And the Avengers are trying to stop because of passion. Fairly, you know, the whole. You sh- yeah, I'm saying yeah. back to Jedi, Jedi should not love because you've got love and emotional attachments. That's going to overshroud everything. And that's what the Avengers do. Yeah. By stopping what Thanos has done. Thanos says to uh, about is it Nebulas. Gamora yeah. says, oh, and uh, Gamora's home planet, how after he culled half of it, it's thrived. It's thrived. Yeah. And that's, that's that's the thing. You can see the both. Yeah, I mean, like, side you, you see the, the, uh, the logic of the argument, yeah. but the way he does it is questionable, you know. Killing 50% of people on a planet is still killing 50%. Yeah. But it's, it's like, it's not that you can get behind him, but it's almost like a, you can understand his logic. As a, as a character, and that, that makes all the, you know, like someone who's the opposite of that is the Emperor. He's just a 100% villain who has no redeemable qualities, and sometimes that's good. And that's the whole but the Emperor is a, if the Emperor was in another franchise, it'd be James Bond because he yeah. is the I'm going to take over the world and I'm going yeah, to have all this money. Yeah, he's, he's but he's, he's the opposite avatar of Yoda, isn't he? Yoda is wholly good. And he represents the light side of the force. I mean, the, the Jedi do questionable things morally, like taking children away from their families. But <clears throat> I think, like, in that sort of sense, like, Star Wars is very clear-cut with its black and white, good and bad qualities. And it is an old-fashioned Manichaean good versus evil fight, isn't it? Like Lord of the Rings is. You know, there's no sort of... There are some grey areas, but it, it's more... In that sense, it's not ambiguous. You know, there are good guys and there are bad guys, and they have uniforms. You look at you, look Skywalker. Yeah. From from a new hope to Return of the Jedi. Yeah. White. See something you pointed out. Black. Too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I never noticed it's, that. Because by, they have to do that though, because that progression has he moves to go from the spectrum. Yeah. 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 Because, because when he's you know it's a subconscious when he's wearing black in Return of the Jedi, you yeah, could follow his father to the dark side. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and that's and that's tension. He, it was I mean, needed. essentially, he starts. Would like if you forgive the imagery, he starts as a maiden, you know, like he's also the princess, like in that he's pure and good and wearing white, and and then he gets empire where he's kind of not knowing what's going on in his life, and then the bombshell, and then he's wearing black, 
you know, and he nearly sort of succumbed. I think the original ending George Lucas had in mind was that he was going to turn to the dark side, wasn't it? Which I'm glad they didn't do, but um, the potential is always there. Well, and people look cool in black as well, yeah. don't they? The bad guys always look cool. Now, if it's going to be the last film, you need to have the heroes. Yeah. That's why you can't have a love triangle. That's why the whole, I'm sorry, but I don't buy into this bullshit that George Lucas had it all, the, the twins and everything. Because no, no it just no It way. just has the love triangle sorted. You don't have to have yeah. worry about uh, Luke and Han fighting over Princess Leia. Yeah, yeah. You don't want the, the, uh, the twins. I'm like, love triangle sorted. Yeah, no, I mean, there's no way he had that in mind. I mean, I, the father thing, maybe. I can, I can definitely... I can definitely sort of understand that because a lot of authors and directors probably go got a good twist here I'm going to keep it you know but now nah, he made up the sister and brother thing on the spot yeah Han Solo <laughs> too popular character we need to keep Han Solo in the mix sorry yeah. Harrison you're staying around till the end of Jedi <laughs> but yeah so it's yeah you know what I love about doing these sort of things is when we have a discussion like this and yeah uh, we end up going in directions which we. This is what. Thank you for listening on right on the pod, or, uh, yep. right on podcast land, whatever format you're listening on. Is that when we start these, uh, when we start talking, we go into we go into the directions which we. I don't know if it would be hitting Star Wars or Marvel. To be honest, yeah, they always tend to crop up, don't they? Yeah. But I think that's because they are so not insidious. That's the wrong word. Sort of ingrained in our culture. Culturally, yeah, ingrained. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. So if you're going to sum up for the for the like summary of this podcast what would you say is your favorite ambiguous film and why i am completely biased really i mean okay i like the ending of town sunshine i'll be honest with you but in terms of longevity is i'm gonna i have to i can't say anything other than blade runner and i've got to do a little tiny that's a good nod choice to blade runner 2049 because i walked out of that the whole gaff situation that blew me away yeah and i know it's about a three hour long film but for me to actually focus on something that small and go yeah wow 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 absolutely i walk out cinema such a happy person yeah so blade runner blade runner yeah i think i've got two tied for the top i've the thing is my favourite. I think in in terms of, you know, they've never had a sequel. It bombed. Uh, you, in that sort of sense, I, I love like the just the final lines. You know, like we already said it, but you know, let's just see what wait and see what happens. And it, it's in your head constantly that night when you watch like what did happen after that. And then my other one that ties with that is the Clockwork Orange. Just because. In this instance, Kubrick did change the happy ending of the book where he's cured to, well, is he kind of? And I think that's that's a truly terrifying moment. And I, I, I it's all downbeat endings. I'm afraid for my favorite ones, but no, I think they're they're the two tied for me. I, Kubrick was the master of ambiguity. He's from a different time, so he, he did get away yeah. with it. I mean, suppose yeah. he could get away with it now. Yeah, he probably, I think he'd still be popular now. Because if you look at Quentin Tarantino, but Quentin Tarantino yeah. sells. I mean, this is. I kind of phrase this in a way that doesn't sound like I'm being derogatory to his output recently because I think his output is, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood still but Quentin Tarantino can now because every film he does with the exception of say with a couple like uh, well, just off the top of my head uh, with the Grindhouse yeah. he sells himself on his past work and when he when you add a new film into the mix like your Django Unchained, your Heat for Late, and now your Once Upon a uh, Time in Hollywood, yeah, that becomes part of the 
landscape. Yeah. yeah. So that when people will take a chance and go and see a Tarantino film just on t name recognition alone. Yeah. But he's one of the few directors who can get away with it now. People go, oh, I'm, it's like, you won't go see every Steven Spielberg movie. No, no. But people will go out their way to go and see every Tarantino movie because you know... You're getting something different. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. getting something out there. And I'm going to say, he goes as far as, you'll go and buy a Quentin Tarantino soundtrack just to see what he does with it. Yeah, yeah. Ta Tarantino's like the film version of going to a different restaurant each night, isn't he? Or picking a different thing on the menu that you do like in a, in a restaurant. Um, yeah, no, yeah, definitely. And... and it's kind of sad that before, before the I think before the whole sort of seventies thing in America, it was it was the European directors doing everything ambiguous. You know, the new wave in France and directors like Antonioni, where uh, he did a film in nineteen sixty called La Ventura, and there's a it's about this couple that are on an island and they're having problems, and one morning the guy wakes up and his girlfriend slash wife is not there. And there's suspected to be a murder that happens, but in between this, this plot gets, this is the main plot of, of the film, and it gets moved to the back burner because all these other things start happening. And by the end, you've even forgot there was someone missing. And that's, that's like, that, that's the great amb ambiguity that I like in, in films, you know, where you can take something like a primary plot point, shove it on the back burner, and by the end of the film, you've even forgot what it was. Oh, the opposite, you've got to be saying, like, uh, yeah. well, I'm in Hollywood, and you think the whole plot is revolving around the Sharon yes, Tate murders. Yeah, 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 exactly. And that's yeah. the whole thing. I was, waiting for the, the, I was waiting for the whole murder. It's quite uncomfortable, actually, isn't it? Yeah, I was the entire Wait. film. Because you Tarantino can do it all. Yeah. Um, I'm, waiting, I'm waiting for this, this whole yeah. big event. Spoilers, if you haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, just yeah. turn off now. But the ending where it turns out that that's just like uh, it's, it's, this is what should have happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like yeah, it's, it's it taking our expectations. And yeah, boom, and 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 pulling the rug from under, yeah. under our feet, so to speak. I think yeah, yeah, I really I did like that. Yeah, because my gut was in like in knots at the end of that film, just because they even do it like a true crime documentary yeah. with Pat Russell narrating it, don't they? And, and you're thinking, oh shit, this is gonna happen. I really wasn't looking forward to the yeah, ending. Yeah, yeah, I really wasn't. And because I was... even the little screen time you get to spend with Sharon Tate in the film, I think Margot Robbie does a great job of. And some of the criticisms, that, criticisms I've heard about it is that she's not in it very much, and I think that's deliberate though. Yeah. You you, you want to get attached to her, but you still want to have that mystery where you think, well, like what could she have done if she had survived, or like. You know the, the the little things she does in her life, like when she's packing her bag or watching herself in her film, and and you think that's the things that were missing because she was killed, and you don't need this whole biography of her. Or, and yeah, it's just it, it it's pure Tarantino. I enjoyed it the same time. Yeah, yeah, I I do need to watch it. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, I don't think we'll, I think uh, I mean we Brits we're good at doing these small films that uh, I mean okay, yeah. we're the Ned Give right, them a course. chance, don't we? Yeah. But, but he was small at one time. Yeah, but we are. Uh, but uh, I'm trying to say is because we've got like Bohemian Rhapsody, Blinded by the Lie, Yesterday, yeah, Rocket Man. You know, we do those quaint sort of films. Yeah, and I don't think that, you know, and there's no disrespect. Blinded by the Light and Yesterday, and Bohemian Rhapsody, are three absolutely no, fantastic films. I absolutely love them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but we, but in terms of like ambiguous cinema. 
Yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard for anywhere everyone to get it out now because there's a whole yeah. bunch of oils. Like I said, everything Hollywood wants it spoon fed in it, and if it is anything like that, yeah, what we missed out. Oh yeah, annihilation, and it's staring me right in the face. Oh right, I thought you meant Mortal Kombat. Right? Annihilation, no, um, no annihilation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. Yeah, that was a. That's a British film, isn't it? Yeah, is it American funded? I know. Yeah, well, it's Alex Garland. Yeah. It? So, yeah. And the ending of that, Jesus yeah, Christ. A, yeah, that, and I think that's one that works better if you haven't read the books yeah. or haven't gone past the first book. You know, it doesn't need a sequel to the film. Ex Machina. Ex the yeah, ex Oh, God. This yeah. is saying the Brie Brits yeah, can't do anything ambiguous out. now. This no, is what happens. That's one of the most crushed endings I've ever seen. It's just because oh, you're not expecting it. Oh. You're expecting, like, oh, yeah. Spoilers again, sorry. You're expecting, like, you know, they've both been a prisoner in this film, haven't they, all yeah. the way through, and then you think, oh my God, did they just do that? Oscar Isaac oh, was shit. the good guy? Yeah. Jesus. What? No, no. We, I, I apologise for some of our comments about us not being Brits, not being us Brits do it better than anybody, I'm sorry, but Annihilation at the ending of oh, Ex Machina. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I, I, was, I was getting to, you know, the film Ex Machina was ramping up, and you're going, well, uh, well, I can't remember the character name, the female character. Oh uh, yeah, the the... Robot, Robot yeah, yeah. and Domino Gleeson, yeah, they escape, they live happily ever after because Oscar Isaac's character is gone. Yeah. You're... Okay, it's been a great yeah. film so far, we're just going to drop into the mediocre happy ending then. Jesus Christ! Yeah. What's just happened? He walked out of the cinema feeling numb, this and just... Christ! It's that, again, with Tarantino that we said earlier. Yeah. It's that sense of grabbing you by the lapels and shaking you because the film knows you're going, you're rampant, you're sort of... Yeah. Uh, winding down and going, oh, this is going to be, this is going to end a certain way. Oh shit! Like <laughs> they punched in the face. Remember we saw uh, Last Jedi, and we yes. found out that uh, we found out that like the annihilation wasn't going to get a series. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, I was raging. Yeah, I was, I was absolutely story. raging because Annihilation. I was one of these films I was tired to be brilliant, and then. It didn't get a cinema release. Yeah. And this is one of these films that should have had a cinema release. Yeah. And the ending, you know, is Natalie and I mean, Oscar Isaac's obviously Natalie Portman, you know, the aliens or whatever they are, the shimmer, going to take over the world because they've yeah. lived and it's like, it, 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 it's, that's the thing. Bit, yes. <laughs> yeah. Just, no, it's, it's, yeah, it was so well done. I mean, the, I mean, that isn't essentially, it's ambiguous in the sense of you don't know what happens next. But it was done, and that was an ending I kind of predicted. But it worked still, yeah. you know. They didn't. But yeah, no, no. I mean, gut punch endings are the best. Yeah. And and you can't. It doesn't happen very often anymore. I think even with Infinity War, that's kind of a. I had no clue going in what. I had my own ideas, but I try not to do that too much with the Marvel films. But you know, when they pretty much dusted half the Avengers, and you think. Wow, how are we gonna get out of this? Group got me. And yeah, yeah, did yeah. Group. And especially when you find out that he whispered in I am Groot raccoons. Daddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh great James it's like yeah, it's like I love James Gunn. I really do. And when he when he revealed that I was like, oh, no, did you really have to tell Yeah, you like, bastard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that was that was one is great when you go into it's like when people try and tell me spoilers about these films like why yeah, are you telling me I don't understand what people get out of that oh, because I'm here first and I want to tell you so many people go oh, have you heard about this how many times do I have to tell you how many times do I have to tell you I 
don't want spoilers. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't. I may have read the comic book. I don't. Or, you know, but I. I want to come into these films not knowing what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I, I, I hate. There is. There's a weird science though behind spoilers. You know, there's a. There was a theory recently. I don't know if it's recent or it's quite old, but I know about it from reading, where they call it the spoiler paradox, which is like, apparently, if you know the ending of a film going in. It will make you want to sit there more than if you didn't. And I thought that sounds like nonsense to me. It is. It. I mean, it may very well psychologically be true that if you know something's happy or sad, you can prepare for it. But I, that's that's the wonder of of that medium that you you're seeing something um, up to its conclusion and you don't know what's going to happen from one minute to the next. But it's a film that you want to watch twice, like uh, Fight Club. Yeah. Was one time in Hollywood. To me, Fight Club once one time in Hollywood, once you know the ending. Yeah. But not once it's been told to you. You have to, you have to experience, experience it. Exactly. Yeah. The sixth sense is yeah. another one. When you know spoilers, you should know by now though. Sorry. Um that Bruce Lee not Bruce Lee. <laughs> Bruce Lee's definitely dead. Um, yeah. that Bruce Willis is dead. And you watch it again and you go, shit, do you know what? Like that scene there, he definitely looks like you know, there's a scene in it, for instance, where um you see him sitting with his um his, his wife, who you assume that it's an ex-wife or they're separated, and they're in a restaurant and they're just not saying anything to each other, you know, as couples that aren't friends do. And it's obviously like, you think, oh, they've just met up to sort of smooth things over, but it's not going well. And you watch it again and you think, well, they're silent because she can't see him, he's dead. And it's... I love doing it. I love going through a film again and, you know, I'd like to say about Edgar Wright, his films demand rewatching. Yes. You know, and... Uh, to an extent, the first Matrix film was a bit like this. When everyone had seen it, they were like, well, there's way too much to process there. I need to watch that again. And it is still a film that rewards to this day. I mean, I love the first one still to this day. I think it's a game changer. But I think even going through it now, I still go, oh, I've never noticed that before. Or, uh, oh, if you see it from this perspective, that's that, you know. I want to say you mentioned Edgar Wright. Yeah. The, the least well-received of all of his films. Oh, his the World's End. Yeah, World's End. I find it a hard watch, and I think I mean, it's the darkest. Yeah, I think that's why. It but you so watching well. it when you watch it from start to finish, and then you find out I that uh, that uh, Gary King yeah. is suicidal. Yeah, yeah. He has to, and this is supposed to be his last night. His last time. Yeah. yeah, and then when you watch it a second time, once you know and you can see all the signs. Yeah, yeah. From the AA, from the uh, the Alcoholics Anonymous at the start. Yeah. Oh, and completely. Yeah, it's like it's it's. So complex and yeah. it's so brilliant. It's like knowing that the NWA behind everything in uh, not the new, not um, not from Compton, sorry, um, in Hot Fuzz. Yeah. When you know that it's not just one killer, it's it's well, all of them. Good. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, like going in again, you look at the things. And do you know something I noticed as well from the World's End that um, you you notice on repeat viewings? If you look in the background, there's a poster in a lot of scenes for a particular type of car. And you see it everywhere. And then when you get to Newton, uh, what's it called? Newton Haven? Is Newton it? Haven, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In the third um, one. Yeah, yeah. When you get to the, the Newton Haven scenes, you see this, this is the only type of car that town drives. And you think, oh, it's the network mm. giving this car out. You know? mm. And it's it's in the background. You don't even yeah. need to, like, no one even points it out. And, and I saw it online. Yeah. And I thought, that's filmmaking, you know. Stuff, if stuff in the background means something, that's blurred out. I just want to say because I, 
that if you want great filmmaking, and this is where Edgar Wright blew me away, yeah. just watch the opening uh, oh, sequence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Blows me away. Yeah, Every time fantastic. I watch it, it's just, this it's, is... It's, it's so well made. I mean, it, it's what I imagine would happen if Tarantino made a musical. Baby Driver is a musical, isn't it? Yeah. Let's not be around the bush. It is as much of a musical yeah. as American Graffiti is, and American Graffiti is a, musical. a musical. Yeah, and it, it, do you know the first thing I noticed in Baby Driver was his jacket. I thought he looks like Han Solo, and that's got to be deliberate, you yeah. know. And it's that sort of attention to detail in Edgar Wright's films that merits and rewards repeat viewings. Yeah, you know, and and, and I love films where you can. So there are some films that don't work with repeat viewing because that's not what they were made for, but. I think the MCU is like this. There's, there's stuff you can go back now that you know the entire Infinity Saga plot, and you can be like, "Oh, you know," on a on a lesser scale. And same with Star Wars. There's there's things in the background that once you know, um, once you once you, because of Rogue One was the best yeah. example of this. You know, watching Rogue One and then watching A New Hope straight after it's so rewarding. Yes, because it's like the leading that actually works for a change. It's not a pointless prequel. It's actually, it's really, it's a really well-made film, and the the immediate lead into A New Hope is so well done. Just set minutes before, because it's, it's minutes. minutes before. Yeah, exactly. What is this hope? Oh, wow, yeah. but that's you know that's yeah. yeah. Ben plus Ben Mendelsohn ben, is ben Mendelsohn, yeah. love Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah, yeah, he's fantastic. You saying about Baby Driver? I was just pulling up the soundtrack. Yeah. I, I love Baby Driver. I just see that Scott. It, it the fact that it has two soundtracks. Oh, I didn't realize it had. It's two yeah. soundtracks because I was a bit uh, I was a bit annoyed when the uh, first one came out that it didn't have one of the songs on it, which oh, yeah. was called New Orleans. I'll find it on here. New Orleans Instrumental. Oh yeah. I was like, uh, it didn't have it on it, but it's all right. I've already got that song. Cause I got a bit of I got a bit of a fanboy buzz when because it's an REM song. Obscure one when they had that, and I was like, and having two soundtracks to, I mean, a lot of it. Ed, you write a lot of Tarantino. He like yeah. comes to music, and, do, it's, yeah. and the World's End soundtrack is yeah, it's like a it's like a nineties who's who, isn't it? Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the. I that's what I love about this going into. Uh, I only HMV and Leicester sort of five pound because ever since I've saw that one, every time I go into a record shop. Cause I can't find them online, and I like to have physical copies. Yeah, I'm now after the uh, the, the Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead because anytime I go into a record shop, a, a record shop, I will always browse the CD racks. Yeah, looking for Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Shaun Dead. Shaun of the Dead's a good one because it's got Queen on it. Yeah, but you can't get those two on iTunes. No, it's, I mean, because I, I I tend to buy a lot on iTunes because I don't have the room anymore. Um, Perils of still living with your parents, I'm afraid, but um. Yeah, no, they're, they're films that are built around their soundtracks. You know, do you remember certain scenes by the song that's playing during the scene? I think you've just uh, given us a title for uh, one of our next podcasts, uh, Music and Films. Yeah, yeah. So uh, keep an eye out. We're going to be doing it soon. Go, Music and Films. Do your own homework as well. Yeah, so it's all like, uh, yeah, so uh, <laughs> so that's it. But if you look, uh, World's End, which the ending of that, well, you know, that's not exactly me ambiguous. I think we just got right off the subject. Just going, yeah, yeah. This is so, a bit like the Tarantino, uh, the Hot Fuzz uh, commentary. Yeah, just oh, got... which is a fantastic commentary. If you've got it on Blu-ray, watch. It's so good. It just sounds like two nerds geeking out, and it's great. Buy those glorified coasters because I enjoy it. You know, I enjoy having Blu-rays. It's better than 
the buying them digitally and only having like the majority of the digital stuff we buy doesn't have anything other than the no. film. I mean, Amazon, some of Amazon Prime stuff has features built in, but you have to watch them right at the end. You can't be chosen. Or... So, yeah, yeah, I, I'm still a big fan of um, extra features on stuff. And Edgar Wright never spoils you, uh, always spoils you with extra features. I think I'm going to be listening to that soundtrack very soon now. This is going completely off the start. So, if you tuned out a while ago, you know what, this has been a really. Uh, I've enjoyed doing this podcast. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good, yeah. I, it's, it's a subject you could probably go on forever in, isn't it? I think we should do another one soon on this. Yeah, it's we kind might of gone do a part bit. two, actually, I think. Yeah. I think we can maybe do in a part two ambiguous films that don't work. Yeah. Maybe that's a harder thing to think of, isn't it? Other than, of course, Term- or, uh, Terminator Salvation. Or the, the, the opposite, I suppose, you know, um, non ambiguous cinema that works. Yeah. But I'm, yeah. I don't know. If you all keep listening, we'll keep recording. Yeah, yeah. I think we've, that's been another High Ground podcast. Yeah, it's been really has. good. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks very much. See you all soon. See you later.